Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Captain Hunter's Podcast, a podcast that is dedicated towards bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. Well, in today's episode, we are going to jump into a a conversation that is going to be mostly focused upon the community. As you all know, for some time now, I've been dealing with, or every so often I will have an episode that deals with the community and what the community can do and should do in order to uplift itself to have a different view of itself. Therefore, it can help to motivate itself to move forward and go farther and beyond, right? I can't always ask the police to change. Sometimes the community has to change. And today I want to tackle the uh, an issue that deals with the community psychology, what we think about ourselves, how we look at ourselves. Yes, we are living in a, uh, we uh, as African-Americans, or if you're Hispanic American, or if you're Somali American, or if you are a Japanese or Asian American, uh, you have you are living in a in a uh, a dominated culture by uh, by those of the European status, but that does not mean in and of itself that you should feel bad about the way that you look, the way that you present, or anything else like that along those lines. And so that's the conversation I want to have today. Uh, something that the African American community has dealt with has been colorism, and so uh, one of the consequences of colorism is that we put each other down. Right? We would say about someone else, "You're too too dark." whatever that means, too dark to do what? Too dark to go to the movies, too dark to get a job. And in some cases, that was actually the case. The world is changing today and I want people to be proud and love who and what they are. Uh, So I think that we really need to have that conversation. So I'm gonna talk to a Somali American today, Miss Amira Attaway. She is uh, is an uh, immigrant from Somalia, now US citizen, Uh, went to school, got her MPH, Masters of Public Health, uh, was a former instructor uh, at the University of Minnesota, or actually she still may be a, uni- a University of Minnesota uh, professor or instructor or adjunct professor. Uh, so we're, I'm going to let her tell us about what she's got going on. So what happened is I, I, I came across an article in The Conversation. That's a, a new online news article or that I read, an online news paper that I read from time to time. Uh, and so this, she partnered up with a couple of other organizations, started a project called the Beauty Well, the Beauty Well uh, Project, uh, which is online. And uh, she took on Amazon and helped to shut down the fact that uh, Amazon was selling, selling skin bleachers, skin bleaching products and skin lighteners and things like that. So the name of the article is that there's a complex history of skin lighteners in Africa and beyond, right? This is not just an African-American problem or Somali problem. There are Asian Americans uh, who are who have uh, been bleaching their skin. Uh, there are Asian persons, Indian persons, Middle Eastern persons uh, who are who are bleaching their skin, and all in attempts to look like you know a certain other population, which they aren't, which we aren't. I came across a TED talk on YouTube in which a Vietnamese woman uh, stated that when she was in Vietnam that she was unable to get a job working at on the news because she was too dark, even though she's Vietnamese. So this is not simply a darker skin African-American problem, right? This is something that all uh, colorism, racism, uh, is something that many other persons of other ethnicities deal with. And in the time that, and once again, in the time that we released this, and I released, we recorded this back in April, right before the George Floyd protests blew up, and but while COVID-19 was going on, and since that time, the governor in Michigan, as well as Nevada, are signing executive orders declaring that racism is a public health problem, right? Public health crisis. 
And so what does this mean, right? So when African-Americans are dealing with, uh, or many other Americans uh, are dealing with the, the effects of racism, which causes high blood pressure, cancers, uh, early and premature death and all this kind of stuff, right? So now the public health sphere is recognizing this as a problem and they're doing something about it. And now the governor's office in Michigan and in Nevada are, are starting to do something about that. And so Miss Miss Amira Attaway has been on the front lines of this and trying to help to recover the psychology of Somali Americans, African Americans, Latino and Latino Americans, and so on and so on. So that's what the episode is about today, colorism and skin lightening, skin bleaching. Uh, so once again, I really want you all to make sure that you uh, rate, subscribe, and share these episodes. Please tell someone about it. Make sure this information is getting out there. And uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is Miss Amira Attaway, MPH, Masters of Public Health, and go make sure you visit her website, thebeautywellproject.com. Here's your interview. Um, so that's pretty much, you know, what I've been doing uh, for the uh, for the past, you know, year or so is really trying to do that um, and just trying to bridge that divide. That's what my tagline is: bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk about not only police-related stuff but I want to talk about um, just community type of stuff, right? And so uh, I actually released an episode yesterday uh, featuring black women's hair, uh, natural hair, you know, oh, stop, stop. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, and that's what kind of drove me to you because I'm going to talk about, I, and I, I liked, uh, I tried to check out a couple of your podcasts. Um, and one, you had a doctor on from, from- uh, yeah. Yeah, she was from, she was from Africa, right? So, uh, and so she talked about the psychology and I think that that's what's wrong with, with, I'm going to call us all African people, right? This is what's wrong with us African people is that we have this psychology about us, whether it's our hair, it's our skin, it's our living in America or living in Europe or living where, even in Africa, right? We, where we think we, ha- we are inferior and I want to try to do what I can in order to break that in- inferiority type of complex. So, like I said, I did, I did a show yesterday about hair. Uh, and I want to do this about skin and just, uh, I talked to another uh, doctor. Uh, he was talking about the trauma that black people face when we see uh, police related shootings and things like that. So I'm just trying yeah. to talk about all this kind of stuff. Yeah. All of these are, you know, traumas that we live in, in a, on a daily basis, the struggles that we have both identity yes. and cultures. So some of these, uh, become part of the cultures. And that's the work that we're trying to do to undo these really things that historically came from colonization. In the case of where I came from in Africa, some of these came from the colonizers and then it became part of our cultures. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so I was very, I was very impressed with that article. Now I, I gotta admit, I I lost the article. That comp, it was in the that was in the <laughs> it was in the conversation. But I did yeah. read up. I did read up enough about you. I thought it was in my email, so I go to my email. I'm like, where the heck is this article at? <laughs> so I couldn't find it. And then, but I did read up a little bit more, just to kind of brush up for the episode. And like I said, I did go through a couple of your. Uh, I re- read the paper that you and another author author wrote, and yeah. Uh, yeah, so I just want to have this whole conversation about, you know, how we reclaim our heritage, our culture, our sense of identity, and pride, which is the most important thing, right? So. Yes, I think the pride is so important, especially how do we uh, teach that our young generation, because I don't want this to also become something that they do, 
you know, right. I want to say. Right, yeah. right. So as we talk about this, right, so uh, I, I, my daughter, um, you know, her mother is, is Cape Verdean. Uh, so being off the island of Cape, Cape Verde, so they're a little bit lighter skinned. Mm-hmm. So my daughter comes out and she's actually darker <laughs> than myself and darker than my ex, right? So I, I, I made sure that growing up that she, and I would always ask her, how do you feel about yourself and all that kind of stuff and try to make sure that she did not grow up with those types of uh, complexes about skin tone and skin color and being darker than. And so I, I just think that this conversation is important and I'm just echoing what you're saying about uh, the making sure the younger generation doesn't grow up with these types of complexes, you know? Yeah, especially if, you know, like if they see different shades within their families. And that, right. and that happens everywhere, you know, where within the families have different shades and that, that impacts. Or even like, you know, where I came from, the culture, people always comment on the darker uh, people within the family. Right. Comment on. Like, oh, they don't look like us. What's going on you with them? (laughs) (laughs) So it's, and then that, you know, as a result of that, a lot of young people develop uh, self-esteem issues. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading, um, uh, I'm not sure if it was an article or that paper where you talked about a lot of that that was going on with a different, and forgive me, I don't know the, the, the... uh, the, the words you have to school this about the language you're from you're from ethiopia right so what's the language that's spoken there i am from uh somalia East somalia Africa, so, okay. Ethiopia, yeah. okay forgive me you're from somalia what's the language that's spoken there what's it called and uh, we speak a uh, somali language somali okay so uh so uh, there was a term that was in one of the articles that i read uh where something dark something what was that term yeah i think Ate means lighty, you know. Lighty, so, <laughs> lighty. <laughs> but there's another term, and there was no. And, and now lighty was a good term, right? It was a positive term. Yes. And, so, so in German, like uh, you know, when they're giving a compliment to somebody, yeah, it's used. Yeah. Right. So, and yeah. so there's a term. Obviously, the negative term would be darky, and that was yeah, madove, madove, madove. So yeah, so I mean, so yeah, that was going on in Somalia, and but it's it's here as well. I mean, so. And oftentimes we hear that kind of stuff. And what bothers me is we hear that kind of stuff, right? Um, you know, get your get your black tail in here and, and, and clean up this room or whatever. So we put these kind of, uh, uh, you know, associations with, with the negativity surrounding our skin tone and our complexion and all that. And I think that that's so, so bad. Even with our hair texture, right? You know, oh, this person has good hair or, or whatever. I don't know if you've ever heard those types yeah. of... Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, people always, you know, I, as you can see, I have a curly hair. People well, listen, always, I love it. I, I love it. I love it. You know, I, <laughs> so people always, uh, say something about either hair or skin color, and and I think that is a lot of things that you know, a lot of identity issues that people internalize. In the case of you know, young people who are, who are in the U.S. who came from where I came from, I mean, they were born here. Some of them. And so now, you know, I, I do some work with, with, with public schools, either charter school or high schools, and I can see very young age, they're dealing with identity crisis. They don't fully fit in the American culture. They're not fully accepted, actually, as an American, although they're American, they were born here, just like anybody else. Uh, and then they don't fully fit in their um, culture of origin uh, because of this, that, you know, like notion that they're different. They might be, they don't know the language, the native language sometimes. And so, or even if they speak the native language, it's not the same as somebody 
who was born in Samoa, and then added to their uh, skin color and the way that they look like and how they get bullied in the schools. And so we deal with uh, a lot of self-esteem issues that young people are showing. And, and that's my biggest worry that I don't want them to end up like older generation who are now changing their skin color to fit in, you know, or uh, to uh, look more prettier um, uh, because of the culture that we came from. If you're light skin, you're more, more accepted in the culture as somebody who's beautiful and your likelihood of finding um, husband also depends on that. Wow, yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like the same type of problems that are going on over there are going on here. And of course, they're yeah. internalizing it here. So whether you're, uh, you know, as, as some people would say, American descendants of slaves, whether it's here or you're a recent more transplant or immigrant, even if you're a first or second generation, you're, you know, if you're a person with a lot of melanin in your skin, <laughs> uh, you're dealing with yeah. this type of thing, you know? Yeah, so, and that's, you know, um, when I first started doing my research on this issue of colorism and skin lighting and chemical exposure in humans, I first started with the African groups because I, you know, that was where I came from, uh, African groups, the people that I know, and I was thinking it was only limited to Africans and black people using skin lighting. And then I, as I was doing my research, I realized it, it's not only them, it's the Asian communities, the Latino communities. And then we expanded our research to Latino and, and Hmong, uh, uh, Asian group that live here. And, and it, it's really sad that we have similar experiences, although they have more lighter skin shades than us but they're internalized because of like in the case of latin america uh, uh people that participated in my research talked about how if you're darker skin latino you can't even get any power you know like you can't participate in their political system their economic well-being depends on their skin color S similarly uh with asia asia talked about mostly about beauty standard just like africa but also they talked about economic well-being that if you're a darker skin asian you're mostly considered like working class asian uh and so and so it's a, it's a global uh problem that deeply rooted into colonizations and 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 white is good and white is pure and all of that something a narrative that was started during that time colonizations and so now even when the colonizers left in all of these countries it became embedded in cultures and that's the work that we need to focus to really decolonize people mm. their minds and the cultures actually very good so let's dig into it a little bit um so before we get into it what, could you just introduce yourself to uh, to to the audience there and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself yeah, uh, my name is Amira Adawe. I am I'm based in uh, Minnesota, um, and I am originally from Somalia, East Africa, and I've lived here in the U.S. for 20 years now. Uh, my background in terms of education is public health, so I have a, a master's in public health. I have been working for the last 15 years in public health um, uh, for almost, uh, like, 14 years of my career, I worked in, in government. And then 
for the last year, both local government and state I worked for Governor Dayton, the previous uh, governor, managing the children's cabinet um, for him. And then I transitioned to the Beautiful Project, the nonprofit that is now focused on, you know, uh, expanding the research that I have been doing the last nine years and expanding to these communities, but also doing research in terms of the association between uh, uh, chemical exposures and environmental exposures and human health, as well as expanding the health literacy of communities that um, either new to this country or have never getting a um, uh, health equity focus, addressing health disparity focus. And so, uh, and then doing advocacy, because as you know, many health issues that impact communities of color, unless you advocate, nothing happens. And so we're mostly advocacy organization and we do education in the community, um, doing outreach and education, and then also research and, and, and policy um, advocacy. So that's brief of, um, who I am and the work that I do. Very good, very good. Um, yeah, so, so that was very good. Um, so thank you for that. So um, what caused you to want to pursue that, that type of work? Um, did you always have a passion about it? So yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so uh, my mother was a public health nurse back home when I was little and she was the head of the maternal child health. So I always used to see uh, my mother leading uh, immunization campaigns, uh, addressing uh, malnutrition issues. And so as a young person, I always uh, knew like what public health is like. And so when we migrated uh, you know, to the U.S. and before we even migrated to the U.S., like, you know, we had interruption because of the civil war that happened in our country. And then eventually we migrated here and I was able to do my undergraduate degree at the uh, University of Minnesota. And then, and then I decided to pursue a master's in public health uh, because of, you know, like that passion. Uh, for public health and that coming from uh, my mother mentoring me uh, to do that. And then, um, and then I, I, before I even went back to graduate school, I started working for local government, uh, public health department as a health educator. And that's actually when, when everything changed for me, when I became so passionate about uh, advocacy, public health advocacy and issue, addressing issues. Because when you when you when you do health education you go into communities and see exactly what's going on in communities you know and so i have seen a lot of disparities that were that were not addressed in community level and so i became interested in upstream public health like focusing on policies and advocacy and then i went back to graduate school to focus on public health policy and maternal child health and, and also minor in environmental health. So I understand chemicals. And so during that time is when I started doing my research. And the reason I became passionate about the skin lighting issue is that as a, uh, when I was young, uh, growing up in Somalia, Mogadishu, I used to see a lot of people use, including some of my family members. And I used to see that impact, impacting them externally, their skin, you know, discoloration and all of that struggle with that. And then migrating here, uh, I noticed that that did not end. People were still having a 
finding ways to access to these products, is buying it. And then um, when I was in graduate school, I was learning environmental health and the connection between human and, and these chemicals. And that's when I became interested in doing research. And I have been working on that um, for the last nine years. And it became uh, my passion uh, uh, within public health, my passion of focusing. And mainly, I think, you know, what drives me to do this work is it associates with young people you know, uh, getting like children getting exposed to these chemicals. Some of these women use during pregnancies, and we have seen that through biomonitoring research. And that my biggest worry is that these unborn that this impacts the unborn babies and those who will born, and that it creates a lot of neurological issues for them. And so that's also another drive for me to make sure that we save these young kids so they don't struggle with neurological issues. So when I was reading over some of the papers uh, and some of the articles, I noticed that, um, uh, and you're kind of answering the question as to why, and I questioned this from a law enforcement aspect of it. Okay, it's one thing to ban uh, some of these chemicals, and I certainly, we'll get into a little bit of that, but, but also just the thought of the FBI doing raids, but I guess that's the reason, is to prevent the young kids from being exposed to these different chemicals, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and to talk about a little bit about FDA doing raid, uh, first of all, you know, FDA, it's an agency that um, have not regulated cosmetics and chemicals in general for a while. I mean, they don't do active regulation. Uh, the last time the Congress even passed legislation on uh, chemicals and cosmetics regulation for FDA to regulate was like 81 years ago. So the agency doesn't even have a lot of power, but mercury in the skin lighting is banned and they have talked about that, but they have not been doing active regulatory system. And that's where, that is where our advocacy comes in, like talking to Congress, talking to our state agencies, pollution control agencies. So like in our state agency here, they do reg regulation. They go, to, uh, they go to the stores and regulate all of that. But, but we work with them in a way that they don't do way of policing them, you know, and giving them citations. Uh, the citation is the, like the last source. We make sure that they work with the business owners because these are some of the business owners that don't even speak English but they know how to sell these products. They know how to get access to these products, whether they, you know, like used to buy from Amazon or not. But we, we partnered with the state agencies to make sure that we do education first before, you know, like uh, policing or citations come into the picture. Once they don't listen is when we let them, give them a, a citation. But in terms of FDA regulatory process, it has been very weak. And that's one of the reasons that last year, uh, Beautywell, in partnership with Syria Club, we targeted Amazon because Amazon was selling the products that we tested and, and we collected petition of 25,000 people from all over the United States to let Amazon know what they're doing is wrong. As a result of that, they removed the 14 products that we asked them uh, to remove. And that is actually a work that FDA should be doing. Okay. So just to be clear, we're talking about skin bleaching, skin lighteners, right? So that's, 
Um, yes. <laughs> uh, so, wow, where, where do I even begin with that? Skin bleaching, skin lightening. Let's so let's start. Let's start at the at the beginning here. Why are people doing this? Why are people doing? Mm -hmm. it? I know we talked about it before a little bit, but let's get into the, the nuts and bolts and the meat and potatoes here. Why are people mostly mostly people of African descent, and I would and I would also classify the Latino population in in that. I know they don't want to be <laughs> for whatever yes. reasons, but they are. <laughs> but they, they are. are. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so so why 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 is this going on? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So to start with from historical background, and this is the thing, you know, when I get into this research and this work, I started with the public health mindset, public health focus. Okay, you know, there's chemicals, we need to educate people. And then I was like, whoa, you know, this is much deeper than this. Let me post and think about the historic package because when I started talking to people, even through my research, I realized that people were unpacking uh, especially the African groups, uh, historical, you know, trauma. And then I, I and then when I um, read some of the history and all of that, it's deeply rooted to colonizations. During the colonizers, especially the parts of Africa where we came from, uh, people were told that they're not good enough if they were darker. They were not uh, like be beauty enough. They were not accepted fully into the society a lot of times. And so that became so much embedded in the cultures that if you're darker skin, uh, African, you're not good, you know, uh, you're not gonna get sometimes jobs or, or, you know, like generally your economic well-being, especially in the country that I came from in Africa and Somalia, all of the people that participated in my research did not talk about a lot of the economic impact, they talked about the beauty standard. Compared to other Africans, they like Africans from West Africa talked about also power and light skin, economic and light skin and beauty standard all together. So within Africa, within the continent of Africa, amongst them are different. The way they were colonized uh, and, and all of that. And the cultures are also different. So in all of that, when the colonizers left, what they left was, um, they kind of wiped the whole narrative of the origins of these people, you know? And, and people kind of like uh, uh, accepted the narrative that they're not good enough. And so, and then amongst them, they started discriminating again against each other, you know, based on the skin color and all of that. And so th that's where it came from historically. But the people also that I interviewed uh, talked about, a lot of the women talked about their likelihood of finding husband depends on that. Their social status depends on their skin color. And also uh, them feeling even good about themselves, like being a beautiful enough, someone has to be lighter skin, lighter shade, um, fairer skin. So, so that's another thing. So it's also deep rooted on the beauty standard. That beauty standard only has to be somebody with, um, you know, like long nose and lighter skin, you know? So all of that become part of these <laughs> cultures. And so that's the other thing. So people talk about a lot when I, you know, like co collected, when I was collecting my data about beauty standard a lot too. Very good. And acceptance, cultural acceptance. Right. Right, right. 
How big of a problem is this? It's a huge problem. First of all, it's a global problem that's impacting multiple countries. In the US, it's a huge problem. In the state of Minnesota, where I first started my work, it's, it's a huge problem. The Minnesota Department of Health uh, has been doing a biomonitoring research of like recruiting women from these groups and testing uh, their urine, especially those pregnant women. And we have been seeing high levels of mercury in these women, in their body, coming from the skin lighting um, products. So that itself, it's, it's, a, it's a both a public health issue, but also it's, it's, it's a cultural issue, colorism issue that people says a lot that the practice of skin lighting, it's highly prevalent. And I have, I, I travel a lot to Africa and, and um, I, I try to collect sometimes data uh, in Africa, especially in Kenya. I have been going back to Kenya for the last five years and, and it's, it's the same thing, it's highly prevalent. So it's a, it's a global issue. And even within the US, you, uh, California is having the same issue New York is having the same issue. I mean, in California, I don't know if you have seen the news, a few months ago, there's a Latino woman who ended up in the emergency room, stayed in the hospital uh, for three months, and she was in coma for three months because of the skin lighting product that she used that, uh, that had mercury that impacted her neurologically. And, and I think that's a permanent injury to oh, her wow. right now. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's, talk, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue. Talk about uh, what mercury does for any listeners out there who are thinking about this product, have been using it for a while, and maybe it's not, it's not that bad. What does mercury, this buildup of mercury do? Yeah, so the type of mercury in these products, uh, skin lighting products, are uh, inorganic mercury. And inorganic mercury uh, can cause a lot of health issues. Uh, including discoloration of the skin, which I talked about earlier. You know, immediately you will notice that discoloration of the skin, uh, the, the skin will become very thin that they cannot tolerate any bacteria uh, to their skin. And then also uh, they develop depression. Some people develop depression because of the neurological issues. Uh, and then also um, kidney problems. Uh, the biggest two issues that we worry a lot about is the neurological issues and the kidney impacts. And we have seen that a lot in many countries in Africa, um, that a lot of women developed um, uh, kidney problems as a result of mercury exposure uh, from the skin lighting. And then the other thing is, so that itself is the mercury exposure and its health impact. But it's not only mercury that they're using. Some of the products contain hydroquinone, another toxic uh, chemical ingredient that was banned in the European countries and Canada. But in, in the United States, it's still legal to use. And so they mix with these um, mercury products. And hydroquinone, it's, it's an it's a ingredient that people can develop skin cancer eventually. And we have seen that studies in Africa that women develop skin cancer. And then on top of that, they use highly pollutant steroid, uh, which is generally used as a medication to address um, eczema-related skin conditions. But these women are getting access 
through the market or through online buying and mixing with the other skin lighting products. And then some of the dermatologists now that we partner here um, are telling me that they're developing addiction because of the highly pollutant steroids that they're using. So uh, there's one dermatologist who's originally from Jamaica, who's really great, and he's even teaching at the University of Minnesota Medical School dermatology students early on how to deal with this type of uh, you know issues of skin condition that's coming from the skin lighting. And he said that now, if the, if he realizes that if he finds out that they're using um, uh, uh, steroid-related product, he doesn't tell them to stop right away. He makes them slowly uh, stop using it because if if he tells them to stop right away, they might have uh, addiction problems. And because he has seen that with some of his uh, patients, he also um, told me that some of them using skin laser does not even work. That's how much they damage their skin. So we're talking about both external and internal damages that caused by these toxic ingredients. All this to try to, to, try to fit into some category of beauty and standard Absolutely. that is so subjective and that really doesn't even exist, which is... Exactly, and that's what we need to teach people, you know? Uh, that is what we need to teach people and, and I know it's gonna take a while, but we have to get to the roots of these cultural to make sure that and them understanding this public health implication. And you know, the other thing that really worries me, mercury, it's a, it's a, it's a toxic substance that can stay in the body for many years. And it genetically in, can impact, you know, generations to come. And so that's my biggest worry that, you know, because of, as you mentioned, this whole simple thing of wanting to look certain way that, you know, it can impact the health of, you know, like generations to come. Right, 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 right. We all know that uh, famous people kind of drive cultures, phenomenons, fads. Um, I don't know if you ever, you've been here for 20 years, so you might have heard of uh, Sammy Sosa, the, the, yes, the baseball I have player. Yes. And, and now, as, you, as these articles were talking about that I read, um, nobody admits to doing this, right? I guess unless you get a problem or you get rushed in the emergency room, nobody's admitting to doing this. Um, but you got yes. Sammy Sosa, and then I would also assume Lil Kim, Lil Kim, uh, the rapper. Uh, yes. who, who are just completely, they look like completely different people. I think even Sammy Sosa was having blue eye contacts or something. So this yeah. brainwashing is, right? <laughs> yeah. like, like we don't have, like we don't have pictures of you 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. that, that can be a really issue because if young people or, or even like some older people see them as a role model, right. what are they, right. you know? Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so, so talk about what you do and what you say to people when you talk about the work of, of addressing the psychological issues, because this is, I agree with you, this is all, we have to get to the root of this, putting on, putting on makeup or getting lip in, injections or butt implants or whatever people are doing. <laughs> I would even say, you know, uh, you know, over processing your hair, people's hair, as I did an episode about that, is all trying to look like something that we aren't. And so what yeah. are you saying to people? How are you getting them to realize that you're beautiful in who you are? These are the effects of 
colonization. What are you saying to people? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, since we're dealing with, you know, the public health implications, you know, we do uh, a lot of community education and also training for healthcare providers because the healthcare providers, the reason we train them is that so they know this issue, you know, so they don't mistreat the patient uh, and ways that they can talk to them with their use so they scream them well. In terms of, you know, like the community focus, you know, uh, um, in the beginning, I always used to talk about the public health, and then I shifted our whole messaging into more of a deeper getting into deeper discussion about the culture, about where this is coming from. And every session that we do, it's a very intentional, you know, uh, to make sure that we have like honest discussion about this and how do we shift this whole beauty standard that's not us, you know, that is different, you know. Uh, if, so, so like, if you look at like your father or mother, you know, might not look like what you want to look like. And, and so like getting into the honesty of that discussion and then giving them different examples. And then also, uh, also uh, uh, um, having them to go through some therapy sessions with a therapist that we contract with. Because I think sometimes also it can be a lot of self-esteem issues that we need to help them deal with, you know? And then also, uh, and then community, communities-wise, we raise awareness on the issue so that, you know, like, so that we shift the behaviors of, of men to how they view women in that particular culture. So they don't always ask for uh, lighter-skinned women, you know? Or, or like, or like it, you know, like some of them, you know, I had, some people in my culture that say, you know, say, man, oh, I want to have lighter skin children. I mean, right. we need to have communication with that person, you know, like, so that that's not realistic. And so, <laughs> so, how do we, so, so how do we shift the culture, uh, you know, like of the whole community, but then also focusing on a subset of that community and then doing a lot of women's session, talking to them. And then there's, some women also that call me one-on-one -on -one that share with me their struggles and how this is damaging them, referring them to a dermatologist and then working through them because it's a struggle. Some of them want to stop, but also it's that cultural thing that, you know, is making them continue to do. And then there are some who are hesitant and say, well, I have been using this for 15 years. Nothing happened to me. Right, Why will I right. stop? You know, right, right, but we right. get deeper into the culture and then and then also uh, beauty standard. You know, some of the things that we have been discussing a lot in our sessions is the beauty standard. How do we redefine that? What can we do to redefine them? Because unless we also, you know, redefine that or change the beauty standard, this might still continue, you know, within right. the culture. And so having that uh, uh, discussion and then I run, I also have a radio show called, you know, like a weekly radio show using that women call in and then I, I make it as an anonymous. Uh, and so when they call in, they talk about what they're experiencing. I even had a woman that talked about, you know, if she stops, she wants to stop, but her fear of fear that my, her husband might leave her, you know? Really? Yeah. Wow. Because it's, yeah, so that's why, you know, like engaging also men is so important, which we have been trying. And then also community-wide, uh, 
raising awareness within these communities, doing videos, talking to them uh, through radio. And then for us to continue doing um, research, like collecting all of these information and seeing like how is it changing is it behavioral changing or is still continuing on all of that yeah but like but sessions like has to get into the deeper of the culture and sometimes it's very tough discussion to have i i can only imagine how how um productive how successful are these sessions whether it's a one-on-one -on -one session or and i would even count your radio show as a mass yeah. therapy kind of session, right? Where you talk to a number of different people. How yeah. effective are these sessions? Do you, do you think it's, that they're working? Yeah, so it's, it's very effective in the, in, the, in the sense that we create safe space for them. You know, they never had that kind of safe, safe space. So I can give you an example. We created Young Women's Leadership uh, Initiative, which focuses on which what I was talking about earlier, uh, I have been doing like work with public schools and charter schools for the last three, four years. And part of that, I have been collecting data. And one, one of the things I realized, it's so much identity issue for young people. So we created this program to focus on early on, uh, helping them deal with their self-esteem and embrace who they are, you know, culturally, but also connecting them with a black woman who are successful that look like them to mentor them, or even like women of color uh, in general. And then, and then also uh, make sure that they go through all of these sessions. And you can see the discussion, that safe space that, space that they have, it's changing, the discussion is changing. They share what, what uh, they experience in the schools. We give them tools of how they can deal with that. So, so these, sessions especially for the young women's leadership initiative has been very successful we graduated two cohorts uh, now and so it has been very uh, successful but then also uh, the older women sessions has been very uh, successful because they have never gotten that type of outreach uh, whether it's a public health related or whether it's like helping them cope and with their trauma of, of, of colorism and all of that. But within the sessions, we have some individuals that are resistant, but they still show up, you know, to the sessions and, and get information. And then some of them, like they might call me a six months or year later and say, oh, I wish I listened to you because this impacted me now because of look how my skin uh, looks. And we had two cases you know, so far that um, reached out to me after like a few months and said, you know, I wish I listened, you know, that. Because they developed some, some sickness? Yeah, yes, oh, okay. some sickness, you know, especially skin damage. Like a lot of the people, I don't know if you have ever seen people that use skin lighting. I mean, within, within like some, sometimes within two, three weeks or even two months, you can notice um, the discoloration of the skin how it damaged and then it's even worse when people were using this like for several years right so to talk about the damage what i mean we talk about what happens i mean i know we talked before about the neurological damage uh yeah. skin cancers and things like that but what other types of damage can can people go through with this 
Yeah, and the other damage is discoloration. So the skin, it's not even like discoloration. And then uh, they cannot tolerate any heat, whether it's a sunlight heat or like when they're cooking. I had one time woman that called my radio and said she can't even cook now because because of like her skin becomes so red and um and and damaged because of the products that she has been using and then a lot of them they follow up um acne and that tends to like more scarring of their skin and then and then some of them like let's say if they if they have injury um you know uh of their skin like part of their skin gets cut it's it's even hard to repair that you know because of they have been using the skin lighting products and then their skin become very thin they they removed many layers of their skin and so their skin became very uh thin and then the other thing is these chemicals suppress the skin melanin production so they so they don't have any melan melan production every day you know all of us naturally we have melan production every single day because of these chemicals they suppress that and they don't have that so as a result uh the skin gets damaged uh i was going to ask you and you, this is probably more of a dermatologist chemical biochemistry type of question is uh, do you know uh does that is it long lasting is it, is it permanent uh and you also you you answer this a little bit as far as uh you know the the melanin production so i'll leave it there i won't get any more complicated so is this is this permanent if somebody stops does this stuff will they will they uh go back to normal essentially that's a really great question and it's very complicated answer uh, okay. <laughs> a lot of times a lot of times no you know cuz cuz because the thing is some of these women have been using for many 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 years so here is the thing you know what i'm also hearing from some of the dermatologists that we partner with even you know if they treat them uh, addressing the skin damage um they have to you know like they have to give time skin to heal you know it might not go back fully the way it was but it can heal you know and 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 it it can get better but a lot of times some of them they don't wait because before it gets better it gets worse you know because of all of these chemicals that they're using and so they're not giving time you know and then they uh relapse to using this these chemicals because they don't want to look different and i've had many women that i spoke with and said can you give at least the two months while you are under this medication that the dermatologist is treating you and she said no i can't face people i can't go outside you know i have to reuse these products so 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 they have to give some time and a lot of them time that time you know it's hard for them to do but there are some that give some time that uh, had their skin healed but not completely the way it used to uh look like so that's the other thing that we talk to people like some of these can become like permanent damage permanent scarring to their skin you know and and helping them understand like i mentioned earlier one of the dermatologists told me even skin laser is not helping just when i two months ago i was in kenya nairobi i met a dermatologist who treats a lot of the women who use skin lighting 
who damage their skin. And that's exactly also what he shared with me that uh, laser is not even helping how much they damage their skin. Wow, wow. Do you work with other groups uh, as far as, uh, we talked before when we first started off as far as this is an Asian problem, Latino, African <laughs> problem. Yes. Uh, uh, do you work with other uh, Asian groups and, and all that to try to, co try to attack this problem? That's, that's a really great question. Yes, you know, beautiful, the work we do, it's very collaborative work. We uh, partner with a lot of coalitions. We work, partner with uh, different organizations, uh, like Syria Club that I mentioned to you, which is a large national organization. But we also partner with local organizations, uh, local government, state government, and, and also the legislatures too, both the state legislature and federal, because a lot of the work we also do is a policy change advocacy and making sure that we secure funding to focus on the researches that this issue requires, both the biomonitoring and the community engagement perspective uh, research that this, uh, this issue requires. So yes, so we partner with, so, so Beauty Well, we have been doing a lot of outreach to the Latino and among communities that live here, the, some of the Asian communities, in partnership with their community leaders, uh, faith-based organization, and their coalitions, which has been very helpful. It's been very helpful. So, so they are seeing the problem as well as you and saying, okay, we need to do something about this problem. Yes, so the research that I just mentioned to you that the Minnesota Department of Health did biomonitoring, they, they focused on uh, the African groups, the East African groups, and then also the Asian groups and also the Latino. And the highest, the highest group that had the highest exposure was the Hmong community, which is Asian community. And the second highest exposure of mercury from skin lighting was the Somali community. And the third highest was the Latino communities. And so it's not only us going into these communities and saying that this is a problem, we have a data to prove that the Department of Health did uh, research. And, and that was also alarming to some of these communities, terms of exposure, but they knew the culture was happening in their community, but they didn't know what in these products and how much it, impact, it has impact on human health. Do you know, and this, I'm not trying to trick you up here, do you know any percentages? Like what's the percentage of the Somali community? Uh, what's the percentage of the Asian community? You, what would you call them? Amman, would you call them? Monk, monk, monk community. Monk. monk? Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to call them Asian. What, <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what, uh, what uh, community, what, what is the percentage of people in those communities? And is it mostly men or mostly women or both? Or, or what's up with that? In terms of like the usage of the skin lighting, like the practice of skin lighting? Yes, product? yes, yes. Okay, that's a really great question. So let me tell you, that's a prevalence study. And to do a prevalence study, it's a very difficult for this issue. One, because it associates with the stigma. People don't come forward and say they're using it, but right. you can see that they're using yeah, it. They're obviously using it. <laughs> yeah. So right. in terms of us collecting data and learning how much people use, we have been uh, using, like, based on our communication with the business owners, how much they sell this and all of that. So that's how we're facing that. It's highly prevalent. And also global data, similarly doing that same work in Africa and also in India, that 
because of the market is so high that everybody, you know, like people are buying and these uh, pharmaceutical companies are making a lot of money because of people are buying, buying. So in Africa, like in the case of Kenya, whenever I go to Kenya, I can even see that in, at grocery stores. Sometimes advertise to uh, young girls, like buy this before you go to, before the school year starts, kind of, you know? Right. So, right. so, so it's, it's, it's everywhere. And so it's highly, uh, we can say anecdotally, it's highly prevalent. But in terms of collecting prevalence data, uh, I think it's going to take us many years uh, because of we have to also deal with the stigma. Because some of these people, they don't want to look uh, as if that they're changing their skin, but, but they're still changing their skin. And so they apply this mostly to their face, to the face and hands, to, to their neck, to the whole body? What? Yeah, so, so, so that's a great question. Because some, <laughs> <laughs> some of them actually mix like multiple products, as I was mentioning earlier, that has multiple ingredients. And then they put it in the refrigerator, you know, like it has the food and drinks, everything. Because wait, they wait, have wait, they're, they're ingesting it as well? They're eating it? No, they're not eating it. They oh, want oh, to oh. hold their place so it doesn't go bad. Oh, okay, so okay. It's a longer time. So most of the women we interviewed, they use three times a day. Okay. So they use in the morning, midday, and at night. Some of them said those who are busy working, they use twice a day. Uh, and imagine some of these women were using 15 years, some of them. And, and, and so that's, that's how they uh, use, uh, in, in, you know, and they're mostly used in their bathroom or in, in their bedroom. And that is one of the reasons that the biomonitoring research that the Department of Health was doing, they were also doing home visiting after they see exposure in pregnant women. And in the areas that they test in the home, where they have been using these products uh, shows high levels of mercury in homes, in the laundry machine, sometimes in the bedroom, sometimes in a, in a, in a bathroom, because of they, they use these spaces to apply the skin lighting products on their skin. And so exposure is not only limited to the, the person who's using, but those who are visiting them and live with them as well. So you're really answering a lot of my questions here because I, I could not wrap my head around and I know that you did a lot of work as far as, uh, you know, getting the Minnesota Department of Health to look into this, but I couldn't understand why they would do it. But you're answering the question as to it's exposing not only unborn kids, which I assume, I, I always think about following the money, right? So so <laughs> if, if, if these kids are being born with this stuff, then it presents uh, economic problems for the parents. They got to pay for their doctor care. Uh, and of course, these kids are going to school. They're probably falling behind because they have these mercury-related uh, neurological problems. Um, and also, yeah, uh, and so yeah, I cannot actually see now and understand why uh, the Minnesota Department of Health would kind of kick in and say, okay, we got to do this. And I, like I said before, I, when I read a, that about FBI doing raids and stuff, I'm like, why are they raiding places? But, but you're really yeah, kind of answering know, they, questions. They don't do um, raiding, you know, even, even like, the regulatory process to make sure that this that it doesn't come through like the through the border or through airplane all of that they're not even doing active regulation so that's what we want them to do active regulation on addressing these bigger industries who are supplying to these small business owners yeah, yeah. so they're not actually doing that so now 
we're working with Betty McCollum, who is a congresswoman, um, and he, she's my actually congresswoman here. So to make sure that FDA has that mandate to make sure to regulate like companies like Amazon or other uh, bigger companies that are selling these products, selling to, to the people. Because people can also sometimes buy from online. So to make sure that all of these uh, is addressed, but also uh, making sure that it's embedded in the public health system that by default, these communities get education and not only us fighting for these kind of resources and advocating all the time, public health system is to address this issue. Sure, sure, I, I totally get that. Um, you, you mentioned that this is a Somali type of problem, uh, whether it's, it's there. It's not Somali type well, of I was problem. Gonna, right, I was gonna, yeah. no, 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 no. I, I, what I'm saying is, um, as far as African, uh, my question is, is this a problem also amongst African-Americans, not just Somali where you are, uh, Somali uh, community where you are, but are African-Americans in Minnesota or in LA or in New York or wherever having the same type of issue? That's a really great question because in the beginning when I started this work, I reached out to the African-American community, which I still do and talk to them. And um, that, you know, skin lighting practice is not an issue for the African-American community. Uh, it used to be an issue, but late in the late 80s, I think there has been, uh, in early 90s, there has been like campaign to uh, address like brown bag, you know, uh, uh, the narrative that used to exist with the African American. In yeah, terms the brown of, bag uh, test, you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there has been a lot of, you know, campaign to address that. But there's, a, there's a one product uh, called Ambien that a lot of the African-American individuals told me that they still use. And that also worries me because it, had, it does not have mercury, but it has hydroquinone, you know, the toxic chemical that causes cancer. And it was not banned. It's not banned in the U.S., but it was banned in the European countries and, and Canada. But it's still legal in the United States. And so we also uh, include them in, their, in our advocacy in terms of when we address in hydroquinone. But we also work with them. We partner with their salons. We were doing now salon exposure research that not only the skin type, but also like those salon workers are getting exposed to multiple chemicals, you know, uh, 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 you know, like dealing with hair. So we're working with them in terms of addressing uh, workers' exposure and chemical exposures. But in terms of the practice of skin lighting, it's not so prevalent in the African-American community, thank God, compared to other African you know, groups. Um, so uh, you talk about environmental uh, type of justice and, and things that, that you kind of study. So besides the skin lightening, skin bleaching, and what are we calling it? Skin lightening, skin bleaching, is it synonymous? You or? call all of it the skin whitening. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay, skin, skin whitening, skin lightening, and skin bleaching, all the same thing. Uh, yeah. Do you deal with anything else besides that? What else does the Be Well Clinic uh, do do besides that 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 work? Yeah, our organization we 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 do advocacy around environmental justices too, uh, in terms of uh, workers' exposure, like those that work in salons okay. that are getting exposed to uh, multiple uh, chemicals. 
those that work in industries that don't provide protections to them, also we work with, with them. So now we have ongoing research that is doing assessment salon exposures to see how much chemicals they're getting exposed to, what are they even uh, using. And then eventually we went to test do to test them and see, you know, uh, the chemicals that they're getting exposed to. It's impacting their health and creating asthma-related or like skin skin allergies and all of that. So that's also the work that we do uh, on other environmental exposures. And then also um, we partner with a lot of national uh, organizations in terms of uh, addressing environmental injustice and environmental racism issues uh, like water related lead issues too so we have a project that focuses on in-home exposure and lead so lead you know the narrative that's out there lead is mostly lead paint related but the communities that we work with it's beyond that we have cultural cultural communities that use spices that was imported from other countries that has lead uh, and it's also some um, candies that are imported from other countries that have lead so we do uh, uh, lead education and and, and work with uh, uh, communities that are getting exposed to lead whether it's a water related lead exposure or products or in-home lead, lead exposure i'm going to expose a lot of ignorance here how does lead get into candy how does that i mean are they putting it in on purpose Yes, so you know these <laughs> companies—they do anything that they can make money out of, and uh, anything that will ease the process for them. Right. Cheap. Okay. okay. And okay. so yeah, so they add lead to so many products. You yeah. know, products that people eat. Candy is something that people eat. Sometimes even uh, uh, foodware. You know, like the uh, uh, you know like the things that people use to cook their food. Yeah. might contain lead too we have seen that some of yeah. these products that i mean uh, things were imported from mexico yeah. that had uh lead in i've, so heard, like I've heard of that of, yeah. yeah yeah a lot of these manufacturers use all this so we we educate communities around that and make sure that they're healthy and and don't get exposed to all of these um chemicals um and then also the other work that we do, you know, like we uh, we increase the health literacy of of the community. So now COVID nineteen, we have response teams that working with 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 the community to make sure that you know that they're safe and that you know like if if a lot of exposure happens that you know we can do contact tracing and all of that, but mostly raising awareness on on this issue because it's very impactful. And then we have a lot of community members who uh, have underlying issues, you know? So these are people that live in poverty uh, neighborhoods that have, you know, a lot of um, underlying issues. And, and so educating them about how COVID might impact. Right, yeah, I was definitely going to ask you what your response has been to COVID-19. I think you did an episode about that. Um, yes, yes. I, so, yeah, I, I think I tried, was that, was that one in, in Somali? One episode I tried to listen to was in Somali. So this last week, it was both in English and Somali because we're talking about workers' exposure, those 
workers that work in warehouse settings that can't physically distance themselves right. like what happens to them what can we uh do with them like what how how do we advise them and then also the face mask uh i interviewed a professor at the school of public health who's doing research on a usage of face mask and and um what is what does that even mean mean for the individual who's wearing and and other people uh that around them and then also like yeah we had a couple other episodes that uh were in somali so 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 that's now um so like yeah so we do some radio show on covid to make sure that people understand this because this is added problem public health crisis that everybody is dealing with but it's impacting hugely disproportionately communities of color that you know have been already dealing with a lot of health disparities very good um so i have two more questions uh mm -hmm. and then i'll let you go uh, this one's going to be a going to be a trick question. Uh, you've been here for twenty years. Yes. Um, are you an African American? <laughs> you know, so so here is the thing. I always say myself, I'm African born. Uh, I also sometimes say myself African American because I am American citizen. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that's a yes. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Somali American. Okay. <laughs> I fit in all of these. I'm a black woman, so I'm Muslim, so I fit in all of these. You check a lot of boxes. You check a lot of boxes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Very good. Very good. Uh, so tell us, I'd like to have you back on because I want to talk about the Muslim thing. As I'm talking to you, this is going to be on YouTube as well, so anybody's listening. Um, you're, not yeah. wearing, you're not wearing that headscarf. I can see your hair, which is probably in some circles. So I'd like to have you back on and talk just about that. If, if yeah, that's okay. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, okay, okay. That. <laughs> you know, as Muslims, we're very diverse, you know. Okay, we don't okay. all wear hijab, okay. you know. We're very diverse, but we're still practicing muslim <laughs> okay all right we'll save that for another episode i definitely want to get into that um so so tell us about what's what's going on and and what people can do if they think a loved one we're going to treat this like an addiction right we think some a loved one is skin bleaching secretly going to the closet skin, skin bleaching uh what, what can we do what are the telltale signs are there are there networks that we can reach out to a number to call uh how, how do we get help for this kind of stuff yeah, that's a really great question. Um, you know, as you know, family members, I think they are the closest and friends too. And even like their their husband and kids are the ones that are very close and right away will notice. I think, you know, the way they can notice is that, you know, they will either see the particles at home or they will see discoloration. Like I talked about, you know, the person might not look like their previous skin and might not reach the desire desired skin so it's in between so some of the products you can notice within one week or within two weeks how much their skin is changing and so so they can educate them and talk to them about the public health implication of using this but also the bright you talked about an identity it's like you're erasing your whole identity you know so they can have that conversation with them honest conversation about the health complication that it's not only also limited to them but those who are around them and also uh and also dealing with identity and that colorism is something that we want to end not something that we 
have to entertain. So having that, you know, one-on-one -on -one education as a friend, as a family member is so important. It's time, in terms of where they can reach out, depends on where they live. But in our website, we have educational material that's written in English and other languages uh, as well that they can get access. I know um, California Health Department has been doing uh, a lot of, uh, you know, like outreach and education around this because they have large Latino community that they have been dealing with. Uh, uh, same with New York. Uh, there are other states that have this issue like Washington State, Ohio, uh, uh, that have this same issue, but their health departments haven't created anything. And so the communities in, in these uh, states contact us for resources. And so we're always, you know, we're always uh, there to help uh, anybody that's listening now and want to get resources on this issue. Or even if they want to educate their communities, we can share with them ways that they can start and do it. Very good. Very good. And did you get the website? Did you, could you get the website? Uh, yeah, so the website is www.thebeautywell.org. Thebeautywell.org. Uh, yeah. Okay. Very and good. I can send it to you uh, so you put it on, like when you're posting, you can put it too. Okay, I will. All right. And I'm also gonna uh, gonna uh, stop bleaching my skin. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop doing that. Bleaches. <laughs> 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 all right I, i'm just joking i don't bleach my skin anymore I know, I <laughs> no i don't do that <laughs> all right so listen I, I i i'm sorry i'm glad that you're healthy that it didn't damage you yes 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 <laughs> I, I i stopped very quickly yes <laughs> um no but i you know i just tried to make a little joke but but i know this is no laughing matter i know that this is a problem and in my, my background in Besides law enforcement is is really about psychology, and I, to me oh, this this amazing. yeah 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 so that's I you know that's why I went to school for and so for me it's about why we're doing the things that we're doing and I really want I, I believe that all people uh, should love who and what they are whether you have blonde mm -hmm. hair and blue eyes you should love that if you have yes. red, red yes. hair and green eyes you should love that and if everybody brown, should embrace who they are yeah you have, if you have uh, brown skin and, and, and brown eyes you should love that and if your hair is kinky you should love that and mm -hmm. um, so I, I really really believe that so um so i want to thank you again for coming on amira attaway right i said your name yes right, right? yes okay, yes that's okay. right yeah I'm, all, I'm always scared to say my so guest names sometimes so yeah <laughs> so thank you, you. thank you so much for uh, inviting me to this show and raising awareness on this issue because it's so important that we raise awareness on on this issue yeah Absolutely. so thank you for helping Absolutely. that Oh, no, listen, I'm following your lead. I saw your article and I reached out to you. So I'm following your lead and I, I want to help in any way that I can. So thank you for coming on and talking about it. And uh, as, soon as, this, as soon as this is over, I'm going to send you an invite so we can talk about this Muslim women thing here because I'm, really, yes. I'm really anxious <laughs> to talk about that. So, so thank you again for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. I had a great time talking. Thank you so much. Take care.